So we are currently in a series on our core values, as Pastor Paul mentioned. Uh, We are talking about what it means to be a gospel-centered church. First City unapologetically claims to be a gospel-centered church, and we want to be clear about what that means. We don't want to just be something we slap on our letterhead, something that just we have on paper. But we want to be gospel-centered in our practice. We want it to shape the very way we live our lives as disciples and the way that we live as a church community. And so far, we have considered gospel-centered theology. Last week, we talked about gospel-centered community. And this morning, we're going to reflect on gospel-centered discipleship. And so when I ask you, what is discipleship, what comes to mind? It's one of those words that if, you're, if you've been in the church, if you're a Christian, you know that's one of the, the core identities of one who follows Christ. I mean, I am a disciple. I need to be discipled. I'm, I'm engaging in this thing called discipleship. At the same time, it can be a little fuzzy what we mean. It can be a little vague. It can be somewhat a little jargony. We kind of just throw that word around, not really clear about what it means. And so again, we want to define our terms. We want to be clear about what discipleship is and what it means. And so what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to grow as a disciple ourselves? And what does it look like to disciple other people? And if we think about last week, we talked about being a gospel-centered community. So I use that analogy of a well, and and that we are are a center-set community. The, the, The gospel is the center of our community, and we're all defined in various stages in growing towards the center. And so we think of discipleship and, and what that means. We can sort of think of it as what does it mean for us to move more and more to the center, the person of Jesus Christ? And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And there are three points that I want us to take to heart about what discipleship is and what motivates us. The first is beholding Christ. The second is believing Christ. And the third is putting on Christ. So let's first talk about beholding Christ, what it means to behold Christ. So in Matthew 28, Jesus sends out his disciples on a great mission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So at the heart of the mission that we've been given is to go and make disciples. We go, we baptize, we teach, we observe. This is part of our mission, our call as Christians. And so what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to go and disciple others? Well, simply speaking, to be a disciple of Jesus means to be like Jesus. In any discipleship relationship, the goal is for the disciplee to be like the discipler. Our our goal is to be like our mentor or our teacher. And so if we are disciples of Christ, we want to be like Christ. We want to look like Christ. We want to act like Christ. In Romans 8, God's word tells us, it has been the plan of God from eternity past to conform us to the image of of his son. Like this is God's purpose in salvation is that we would be like Jesus. And so if we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to disciple? We have to ask the question, how do we become more like Christ? How how does that process take place? What scripture tells us is that there's an important truth of human formation that we need to be aware of. It is this, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. Now, when I say behold, I'm not just saying uh, you just look at something and magically you become. I'm talking about 
beholding something in a way that it has your gaze, it has your attention, it has your affections. Like the gaze where you're locked in and you're learning and you're being shaped and you're being formed because your attention is so strong on that thing. So a couple summers ago, Mindy and I had the privilege of going to Rome. And when I was in Rome, I tell you what, Rome stole my heart. Like it grabbed a hold of my heart and I loved being there. And here's how my wife knew that I loved being there. Normally when I'm traveling, I'm like just kind of a space cadet. Like, like I will be just driving just in my happy little world and I will miss exits all the time. I'll get lost and it's fun for me. But I, I'm just not paying attention to where I am and where I'm going. In Rome, like I loved being there so much. I was so locked in with my surroundings that it was like in a day and a half, I had sort of memorized kind of the, the two or three square miles that we were kind of navigating in. Like, I was so in love with the place. Like, I want to know the back streets. I want to know where I'm going. My gaze was focused. And it, it already, in just a short amount of time, it had, like, shaped my mind and my heart. And so what has your gaze? What has your attention? What's grabbing your heart? What are you looking at? You see, like, even in human development, like a child, when, when they're born, their natural bent and inclination is to put their gaze and their affections towards their parents. And so they watch their parents. They're locked in with their parents. And that relationship shapes them. That's why even when you're older in life, no matter how hard you try, you're still like your parents, even if you don't want to be. That relationship, that gaze, that beholding shapes you. And so we have to ask the question, what has your gaze? What are you beholding? God has wired us to become what we behold And so we need to be very careful. We need to be very attentive towards what we are beholding because this goes beyond our relationship with our parents. You and I will look at people. We will look at images. We will look at a vision of the good life that we want and we will behold it. We will lock into it. We will give our affections to it and it will shape us. And so who is that person for you? What, what, What vision of the good life are you paying attention to? What is, the, what is the thing that you most want that you're locking in and your life is being shaped by that thing? See, God has wired us to become what we behold. And so if our attention is being held by those things that are shaping us in sinful ways, well, we will become those very things. Like in our sin, our natural bent is to chase after things that provide for our comfort and, and our glory and our self-interest. And, and when we put our attention there, we become those very idols, those very things that we're beholding. See, in the Old Testament, when, when the people of God fell into rebellion, God often called them stiff-necked people. And if you're familiar with this term, it's, it's sort of like you're prideful, like your neck is stiff, you don't, you're not easily turned. But, but there's a different, there's a deeper meaning to that statement because the idols that the Israelites would worship, the idols of, of the other nations, they were wooden statues, wooden statues that could not move. Their limbs, their head, their body could not move. No life in those idols And so when God called Israel stiff-necked, he was saying, you've literally become like those idols. Your neck is stiff. It does not move. There's no life in you. You've become what you've been beholding. And we are the same way. When we behold things of this world, 
We become stiff and rigid. There's no life in us. There's no goodness in us. It becomes, we become turned in on ourselves and we become rigid, stiff-necked people. And so you need to ask the question, what image are you becoming? Is it something glorious that reflects Christ? Or is it rigid and stiff and lacking life? So being a disciple of Jesus, becoming more like Christ happens when we behold Christ. When we fix our eyes and our heart and our affection, our gaze on Christ. Here's what 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So in the context of this verse, the glory of the Lord is Jesus Christ. And so we see the fullest expression of God, the fullest expression of the glory of God when we behold Jesus Christ. And as we behold Christ, we're transformed into that same image. And so is it the glory of the Lord that is transforming you or the glory of something else? You see, we're locked in a glory war. Like there are so many things that want to grab our minds, grab our attention, so many glories out there that are trying to conform us. Is it the glories of those things or the glory of the Lord? Is it the glory of Jesus Christ who stepped from heaven into our broken and destructive world, who, who stepped into our pain and our mess and loved us, who stepped into our sin and spoke truth to us and cared for us, who stepped into our diseases and our oppression and healed us, who stepped into our judgment and our sin and took that upon himself and died for us. But the resurrected and reigning king who now sits in authority over all things and is coming back to set his world right. Is that the glory that has your attention? Is that the glory that is shaping you? Is that the goodness that is shaping you? Or is something else? Oh, we're called to behold the glory of Christ. We're called to behold the glory of his goodness and his grace and his mercy so that we become like him. See, this is deeper than just outward behavior. This is speaking to our hearts. What has your heart? What do you worship? And so in the midst of this glory war, we have to ask ourselves, are we beholding Christ? Like, are we actually taking the time to behold Christ? So do we behold Christ in his word? Like, are we, are we looking to Christ? Are we going to his word? And again, this is why gospel-centered theology is so important. It's not so we can just fill our heads up with a bunch of facts. It's not so we can just memorize a bunch of verses and sort of feel good about ourselves. It's so that we see Jesus. Like when you go to scripture, is it to fill your head with knowledge or is it to see the glory of Christ? Like this is why we gather on Sundays. This is why we sit under the preaching of God's word. I hope that's why you're here. Look, I am under no impression that you're here because you think I'm an awesome preacher. Like I really hope that you're here because you want to see the glory of Christ upheld and be transformed into him. And so we behold the glory of Christ in his word. We behold the glory of Christ in prayer. Prayer isn't just asking for a bunch of stuff. It's a wrestle so that we can see Jesus in the midst of all of our struggles and our challenges and our pain, that we see Christ in his goodness and his love towards us. Like prayer is a way to see the glory of God and be conformed to the image of Christ. We behold Christ when we sing. Like we sing not to just sort of give ourselves this spiritual high and prime us up for the sermon, right? It's not a warm up for this. 
like singing is formation. Singing is so that we see the glory in Christ above all those other things that are seeking our attention. We behold Christ in the Lord's Supper. This is why we take communion every week. Like, here's Christ held out for us. Here's the gospel held out in tangible form so we can feel with our hands and taste with our mouth truth. And so we see the glory of Christ each week in communion. And so are you beholding Christ? Are you living your life? Are the rhythms of your life such that you're regularly looking and seeing and beholding the glory of Christ and being changed? Look, this isn't about religious performance. We don't do these things to impress God or earn favor with God. We do these things to be shaped into something glorious and beautiful so we can see Jesus. Look, it's a struggle, right? Like so many things vying for your attention, so many struggles, so many false glories out there. And so we got to come regularly and be reminded and refreshed and renewed in the glory of Christ. And the beautiful thing is, is that God is restoring the image of himself in us. Did you realize we were created in the image of God? We were created to reflect God's glory and his image. But sin has marred that. Sin has wrecked that. And in Christ, God is restoring that beauty, restoring that image in us. He's restoring our purpose. Like our purpose wasn't to slog in a mire and mess of sin and brokenness so we can just sort of build our own little kingdoms of dirt that pass away. Like, like the, our purpose wasn't to slog through fighting in tribal politics and, and trying to make something of ourselves and, and grab fleeting comfort. Like, that's not the glory that we were created to chase after. That's not the glory that we were created to be shaped by. And so in Jesus Christ, we're being restored to the true and perfect glory. We're being restored to our purpose, and that's the good news of the gospel. God loves us, and he's come after us to make us into something beautiful and glorious. And so in gospel-centered discipleship, we are beholding Christ. We are looking at Christ. We want to be like Jesus. We want our hearts to be grasped by the affection for Christ. This is how we are transformed. And so as we disciple one another, we need to be asking not only ourselves, but each other, hey, what has your gaze? What has your attention? What has your affections? And, and what does it look like for you to, to regularly behold Christ? Like, are you spending time in the word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you coming and worshiping? In the midst of all of those things that want to grab your attention, are you going after Christ in the midst of that? This is how we love one another. This is how we serve one another. This is how we help one another. Help me see Jesus as I help you see Jesus. So we behold Christ. Second, we believe Christ. To be a follower of Jesus, we must believe Jesus. And scripture makes it very clear that belief or faith in Jesus is central. So John 6, 29 and 40, Jesus tells his disciples, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son, notice the language, looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Then Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Belief in Jesus Christ is the correct response to the gospel story. We consider all that Christ has done, his life, death, and resurrection, belief and faith 
are the correct response to put all of your faith, all of your trust, all of your hope, and call Jesus Lord. And inseparable from this belief in faith is repentance. Like tied into belief in faith in Christ is repentance. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 24. So after his resurrection, he's making sense of everything for the disciples. This is what he says. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to him, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So Jesus unpacks the scriptures and says, hey, look, the whole thing is about me. From, from Genesis up until the end of the Old Testament, it's about me. And in the light of that, that, that I had to die and now have been resurrected, here's the response. Here is now what you go and tell people. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So belief in Christ involves repentance. Repentance is how we respond in belief. And so here is something that we need to keep in mind when we're talking about belief and repentance. Like these two things are not separate. They're, they're the same side, they're the two sides of the same coin. To, to believe in Christ is to walk in repentance. And to repent is to believe in Christ. Because look, when I turn to Christ, I have to turn away from sin. And that's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's turning away from sin. And so this is a real simple bodily exercise that you can do. Stand one direction and turn the other way. And then turn back. It kind of shows you, like, for me to turn towards Christ in faith, I have to turn from sin. Like, these two things have to go together. I can't turn from sin and turn, or I, have, I can't stay looking at sin and turn to Christ in faith. And so repentance and belief go hand in hand. That is how you believe, first believe the gospel. That is how you are saved. But that is also, that is also, how we continue to live our lives. See, we don't move on from this. The mistake many of us make in our discipleship is we think repentance and faith is sort of what we do to become Christians, and we miss the fact that, no, that's how we continue to grow as Christians. See, Martin Luther was right on in the first of his 95 theses. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Like our life as disciples is an ongoing process of faith and repentance. Not because we can lose our salvation. That is secure. That, that, that is something, if you are in Christ, you're united to Christ, you cannot lose that. This is not about fear of losing salvation. This is about growing deeper in our faith, growing deeper in our belief. And so faith and repentance are part of the renewal process by which we become more and more like Jesus. We more faithfully and more deeply believe Jesus. And this is where gospel renewal and gospel-centered discipleship is different than behavior modification. You see, behavior modification is this. Stop doing fill-in-the-blank. Stop being angry. Stop gossiping. Stop lying. Stop looking at pornography. Stop drinking. Stop whatever it is. Stop doing that. And then the judgment is, are you doing that or not? 
See, gospel-centered discipleship recognizes that is not like being Jesus. That's just being a moralist. And there are plenty of people that can be quote-unquote moral that don't love Jesus, that don't follow Christ. This is where repentance and faith become important because we recognize the problem is much deeper. Growth in Christ is a heart issue. And so the problem is, is if we sort of stay at this behavior modification view of discipleship, we shallow out discipleship. And there's, there's probably two major ways that we do this. You could probably parse this out in some different ways, but there are two pretty significant ways that we shallow out our discipleship when we remove faith and repentance as part of our ongoing discipleship. So the first is the moralist view of discipleship, which reduces being like Christ to avoiding sin and doing certain levels of religious performance. Like if I, if I can stop doing these things and not do this and perform enough over here and do enough good religious stuff, well then I'm okay. I'm set. And, and some of you, maybe you've been in churches where this is how discipleship was talked about. It, it was treated as if, you know, avoiding sin, keeping yourself pure, staying away from bad influences, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't chew, don't go with boys and girls who do. I mean, that, that's sort of like, hey, don't go to this kind of movie. Don't listen to this type of music. Don't dress this way. Like, like it's just these kind of baseline moral behaviors. And as long as you avoid those things, hey, man, you're doing good. You're okay. You're mature. And then positively speaking, as long as I go to church enough, as long as I read my Bible enough, as long as I pray enough, as long as I know, know enough theology or memorize enough scripture, hey, then I'm good. And so as long as I avoid this list of sin and I do enough, I'm a disciple, I'm good. Jesus calls us to something so much more glorious than that. I hope you understand that discipleship is something more beautiful and more deep than that. It's not just this pendulum of performance and avoidance. Oh, we go to some really strange places when we reduce our discipleship to that. Look, there's some truth to these categories. We, we should avoid sin. We should stay away from certain things. We want to move away from those things. And we should read, be in Scripture. We should be praying. We should be part of a church. We should be memorizing Scripture. All of that stuff is good. But discipleship, being like Christ, those things come from a much deeper place. Those things come from an overflow of something more profound and more beautiful than just avoidance and performance. You see, when it is focused on our performance, and then I find satisfaction and joy in being strong enough. I, I find satisfaction in knowing that, hey, I don't do that stuff. Those other people over there, they may do it, I don't. And so it really becomes about me and my discipline. As long as I'm strong enough not to do stuff, then I'm good. And then also, we fall into this pretending. We act like I'm not really that bad. We, we act like I'm not really like those other people. And so we minimize sin or we hide sin. When we think we have to be a certain way, then I can't let anybody know that I'm struggling. I can't let anybody know that I actually I have sin in my heart. I can't let anybody know that I'm weak. And so we go through this pretending and performing cycle. And all the while, we miss the glory of Christ. We miss what Jesus has for us. We miss the discipleship is something much deeper and more profound and more beautiful. And here's the other side of it. That's embracing 
a view of discipleship that was exactly like the Pharisees. Look, the Pharisees were the most moral, they knew the most theology, they avoided the most sin, and they performed better than anyone. And Jesus smashed their view of discipleship. He smashed their view of what it means to be faithful to God. Like he said that their performing and their avoiding meant nothing because they did not love God. They did not love Jesus. It was not coming from a place of worship. And so when we fall into this kind of moralist behavior, we run the risk of defining our discipleship just like the Pharisees. Look, you don't have to be snobby to do that. You don't have to be self-righteous to do that. The other shallow form of discipleship kind of comes out of what I would call sort of a missional or a social, social justice or social action view of discipleship where you say, hey, I'm not like those stuffy Christians that are just worried about, you know, managing sin and avoiding sin. Man, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to love people. I'm going to serve people. We want to see justice. We want to see, we want to love people. Get out there and, and do something good for your community. And, and so you run out there to do a lot of good things. You, you want to see righteousness and justice. You want to see the poor cared for. You want to see the hurting cared for. So we, we run out and think, hey, this is what discipleship is. This is what matters. This is what I need to be giving myself to. And again, lots of truth in that. We should be loving. We should be caring for people. We should be serving the broken. We should care about the poor. But do you hear the same kind of performing and pretending ideas in that as well? Like, I'm not like those other Christians. And look, I'm going to go do enough stuff. And it becomes the same thing. Performing and pretending And the scary thing is, is that a lot of times when we define discipleship that way, we start to minimize holiness. We start to minimize righteousness. We we put a lot of stock and celebrate Christian freedom, but we won't celebrate Christian maturity. And so both of these ways of discipleship are broken. They're shallow. They're hollowed out. Being like Jesus means that our holiness our, our wanting to walk in faithfulness and purity, our, our going to the word, our praying, our loving others, serving others, caring for the broken, entering into the mess of the world, all of that is coming from a heart that loves Jesus. And in order for us to get underneath that, in order for us to experience that freedom, that kind of discipleship, then we need to be walking in regular renewal. And this is where repentance becomes so important. Because the gospel tells me that my problem is much deeper than just my behavior. The gospel tells me it is my heart. I need to get at heart idolatries. I need to get at the level of what am I worshiping? What am I putting my hope in? Where are things greater than God grabbing my heart? You see, underneath any sin, there is a lie that you're believing. And there is something else that you're worshiping. Like you're believing that whatever it is, fill in the blank, is going to provide something for you. And then if you don't get that, your world is going to fall apart. The only thing that should ever fill that is God. The only thing that should answer that question, what you absolutely need, and if you don't have him, the world is going to fall apart, is the Lord. And so what are the things that you and I need to be repenting of? What are the things that you and I need to be turning from? See, when I cultivate a practice of repentance... I'm going to the Lord for my strength. I'm going to the Lord for change. I'm going to his power, his provision. 
I recognize that it isn't in my power. I recognize it isn't in my discipline. I recognize it isn't in my theological knowledge. I need the Lord. I, I confess that I am terribly and hopelessly broken. But when I go to the Lord in repentance, I also acknowledge that I'm more radically loved than I can even hope for. See, I admit and I agree with the Lord about my sin, but I also admit and agree with the Lord the truths that he speaks over me in the gospel. I agree that my identity is in Christ. I agree that I am loved and I am accepted through Jesus Christ. I agree that the power of the gospel is at work in me. The Holy Spirit is at work in me to transform me. And so when I go in repentance and faith, I am going after those things. I want the Lord to touch deep down into my heart that out of those things, my life may be transformed and that my behaviors may be affected. So what are you repenting of? In what ways are you pretending? In what ways are you performing? In what ways are you hiding? Underneath your sinful behavior, what lies are you believing? What idol are you holding close to your heart? Oh, and how does the gospel expose those lies and idols and set you free? Those are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. Those are the questions we need to be asking one another. So we behold Christ, we believe Christ, and finally we put on Christ. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul writes something rather interesting. Listen to what he writes. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Like Paul talks about a behavior, you know, a way of thinking, yes, but a behavior, and contrast that with learning Christ. You see, in, in our kind of enlightenment-influenced Western civilization, we think of learning as head knowledge. Like, I've learned something when I know the facts about it. But Scripture has a much richer, a much deeper view of learning and knowledge. See, learning and knowledge in a scriptural perspective comes from deep experience. It comes from a lived-out reality, practicing. And so another way we could frame this, another thing that Paul is saying, you have not practiced Christ. You have not learned Christ in this way. Meaning, this isn't how you have learned to live. This isn't what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so there's very much our learning as disciples involves behavior. It involves living a particular way. Discipleship is a lived-out experience, a practice. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just facts. And right after this, Paul says this about how we are to walk and how we are to live. You have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness, there's that image language again, after the likeness of God in truth, righteousness, and holiness. Here's the picture of walking in repentance. I put off my old self, my old manner of life, my sin, the things that I used to practice, and I put on a new man. I put on something new. And in Romans 13, Paul calls this new man 
putting on this new man the same thing as putting on Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. To say that we put on the new man is to say that we put on Christ. And so we behold Christ, we believe Christ, but we also put on Christ. There is a life to this. There is a lifestyle to this. There are practices that we do in light of the glory of who God is. We, we walk in a certain way. And so what are those things? Well, in Ephesians 4 and in Colossians 3 and in other places in Scripture, we get snapshots of what that is. So we're told to put off sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, lies, anger, wrath, malice, laziness and stealing, corrupting and obscene talk. And then we put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forgiveness, truth, honesty, hard work, love, speech that builds people up in Christ. You see, gospel-centered discipleship is seeing the glory of Christ. It's fixing our gaze and our affections on Christ. It's deeply believing Christ and repenting of those sins and heart idols that we, that we still cling to us. And then it is putting off the behaviors that are not Christ, and putting on those things that reflect Jesus. See, if you're seeing the glory of Christ, if you see the glory of the gospel and all who Jesus is, and if you turn from your sin in repentance and believe the promises of the gospel, then we cannot help but put off sin and put on Jesus. And so we walk in a newness of life. There are practices that our discipleship involves. There are things that we do to grow in Christ's likeness. And so don't minimize the importance of your bodies. Don't minimize the importance of that what you do with your body is shaping you either into the image of Christ or in the image of something else. Don't minimize that what you're doing with your body is either building your faith and helping you to see the glory of Christ more clearly or clouding his glory there was a sort of theological, philosophical belief in the first century called Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism taught is that our physical body, the physical world was evil, and the only thing that mattered is spiritual stuff. And we can, in, some of this, in a weird way, sort of do the same thing in our discipleship when we think that discipleship is just about head knowledge. Discipleship is just about having the right facts. Discipleship is just about believing in our minds the right thing and miss that it actually is an embodied experience. Because here's how some people, and I'm afraid maybe some of you, because I know I've done this before, is that repentance for us is this, I'm, I'm kind of caught in sin. I just need to learn some more theology. Like, like my, my move is, is I, I just need to get better theology. That will make me feel better about myself and, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. And so we define ourselves, we define our maturity, we define our discipleship in this sort of intellectual, non-tangible way. And we neglect our bodies. We neglect the fact that we are called to walk in a way that reflects Jesus with our bodies. We put on Christ to experience Christ, to be formed in Christ. See, whenever you walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, so let's just say you walk in compassion, Whenever you walk in compassion, here's what's happening. You see, the grace of God, the power of God is meeting you in the midst of that. And, and you're being shaped ever more into Christ's image. Because we're being changed from one degree of glory to another. This is a process. Sometimes it's a slow process. But when we, when we act in those ways, we're being shaped and we're being formed. 
And so every time you put on a compassionate heart, every time you tell the truth, every time that you walk away and and move away from impurity and walk in purity, every time that you work hard, every time that you show love, every time that you speak in a way that builds people up in Christ, you're being shaped, you're being formed ever more into the image of Christ. And our bodies are beginning to take on that, that training, that discipleship, that formation. Our desires are being shaped and trained to ever more want to be like Christ and love Christ. And so it is important that we put on Christ with our bodies and walk in ways that reflect who he is. Now, I've, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Because sometimes this is very difficult and sometimes we don't necessarily feel 100% like righteous when we're doing stuff. We still have mixed motives. And, and so it's not, I only act compassionate when I feel 100% compassionate. Or I only act in love when I feel 100% love. Sometimes it's mixed. And, and so you, you've, you've probably heard people say, hey, fake it till you make it. You know, kind of that behavior modification thing. And, and, and okay, if we're talking about behavior modification, then that's not good. But we shouldn't be afraid of that. So, so if faking until you make it doesn't work for you, let, let's do what we, I think a few months ago we talked about this, like sow it till you know it, or, or habit till you grab it. Like, like your, your mindset is this, I want to be like Jesus. I, I want to walk as Christ did. So even if I'm not 100% where I am, need to be in my heart, I'm still going to do this as a way in faith to sow towards it. Like I'm going to walk in this habit until it becomes second nature for me, until Christ is fully formed in my heart. And so we don't have to be perfect. Remember, it's not our performance. But let's walk in such a way that reflects the desire and in faith stepping towards Jesus because he is at work and his power is at work in us and he is forming us. So when we disciple one another, let us help each other put on Christ. Let's ask ourselves, hey, what do you need to put off? What do I need to put off? What do you need to put on? What do I need to put on? How can I, how can we help you do those things? How can we teach one another what it looks like to more faithfully put on Christ? So church, in conclusion, gospel-centered discipleship is beholding Christ, it's believing Christ, and it's putting on Christ. And never forget we do this together. We cannot do this alone. We need each other. We need each other to behold Christ. We need each other to believe Christ. We need each other to put on Christ. And so we do this together. And so let us be a gospel-centered community that is committed to gospel-centered discipleship. Amen.